Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. We're starting a brand new series today called I Am. Turn to the person next to you and say, I Am. And we want to look at uh, the question, who is God? I think a lot of us are familiar with God. Maybe we know about God. Maybe we have some facts and figures about God. We grew up in church and we've heard some stories about God. But how many of us actually have taken time to know him on a personal, intimate level? I was thinking this morning, you know, because of the nature of what I do, and some of the things I've been able to do in my past, there are a lot of people who know about me. They, they can tell you some different facts. You know, they can mispronounce my name. They can say he preaches. He plays an instrument. As a matter of fact, I've, I've gone to ball games before where complete strangers come up to me and they say, hey, I just want you to know, caught your sermon on YouTube and it really blessed me. They know about me, but they don't know me. How many of you know, like, if they show up to my house and open the door, the cops are going to show up, right? Why? Because we do not know each other. We know, uh, they know about me. And I want us to get to a place, Coy, to where we don't just know about God. We don't just know some of the things he does, but, Missy, we actually know him. And how many of you know he wants to know you? He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. And so today we're going to start in Exodus, the third chapter, and we're going to see the moment when God introduces himself to Moses. And God is going to give us some insight today into who he is, not just what he does. That's a big part of it. But it's not just what God does, it's actually who he is. See, we can say God loves people. That's true. How many of you would agree God loves people? But he doesn't just love people. Love is who he is. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his fiber. It's a part of his being. You cannot separate love from God. You can't separate light from God. Why? Because light is who he is. In the beginning, when he comes on the scene, his spirit is hovering over the the, the waters. And he says, let there be. And guess what shows up? Light. Let there be light. Light shows up. It wasn't the sun. He hadn't created it yet. What showed up? His presence. And he is light. Are you following what I'm saying? So in Exodus 3rd chapter, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, (laughs) the priest of Midian. He was out there looking for some Texas tea, apparently. If you laughed at that joke, you probably have gray hair, (laughs) or you've colored it, or in my case, you cut it off so short that you can't tell that it's gray. But he's out there in the wilderness. He's keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he's led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, anytime you see the Bible say the angel of the Lord, it is identifying the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning this is Jesus before he took flesh on. 
How many of you know that Jesus is not a created being? Jesus is the God who has always been. And then the God who has always been takes on flesh and is born. And so you'll see a difference through Scripture when it says an angel showed up and said this or an angel showed up and did this. There's a difference between that and the angel of the Lord. So what we are seeing here is God himself appearing to Moses in a burning bush, and he's starting a conversation with him. So watch this. The Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was, it was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said this, he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to introduce yourself to them by saying, I am, and then place your name there. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> now, how many of you, like, 
you really dig the name your parents gave you. By a show of hands, like that's, you love that name. And, and a name is, a name is the label that, that your parents gave to you that we identify you by. And obviously some of you love your name. It's the type thing like if you have a son, you're naming that son after you. If you have grand boys, you want your grand boy named after you. I was thinking about George Foreman this morning. He loved his name so much that he named all of his sons George. And I can imagine how confusing it got around the house. But me, like my name is one that took some getting used to. My name is Aram Meshagan. And I am reminded of how awkward that is every time I go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And they say, what's your name? And I can't give them my name. I have to always make up a name or I'll give them the name of my daughter because as soon as I say Aram, they're going to say, say what? And then I've got to spell it. And then I've got to say A-R-A-M as in Michael, not N as in Nancy. Then they want to know, oh, where did that name come from? You know? And I've got to give them a complete history lesson. And I'm like, all I want is a Chick-fil-A sandwich and some French fries here. Just call me number one guy, you know? So, so my, my, my name took some getting used to. I remember in school when they would rattle off the roll call at the beginning of the year, you know, they go, Gavin Harris, Sally Craig, Missy Harden, Cameron Hallisey. And as soon as I heard that pause, I would just go, here. <laughs> and it's not just Arm that's weird, like Meshagan, that's, that's different. And now my daughter, my daughter Lillian, she cheers, and they were introducing the cheerleaders last week, and they're going and just rattling off these names, and then there's this pause, and I go, oh, here comes Lily. <laughs> and so, like, when, I, when it came to me naming my kids, like, I wanted them to have a name that was semi-normal. Like, I wanted them to have a name that people could easily see and say. So we have Stella. We have Lillian, and then our youngest is Isla, which I thought was simple enough until we went on a cruise and everybody was calling her Isla. Hello, Isla, you know? And, and so but, but we all pick names for different reasons. Maybe, it, like in my case, it's I want something simple. Uh, for you, maybe you named your kids like a name that you thought was cool, like, hey, this would be neat, this would be unique, because you didn't grow up with a name like Aram. You didn't know the torture you're going to put them through. Some of you, maybe you named your kid um, a name that honors someone that was in your family? Anybody, like you named your kid after someone in your family as to honor them? Yeah. Sometimes we want to know the meaning of the name. So we go through the baby book because, you know, the name may sound cool, but if it means dum-dum, that's not the name we want to choose. We want it to mean heavenly warrior princess bride, you know, like something really Really cool, we wanted to carry some significance. There's all different reasons we may name someone something, but I want you to understand when it comes to the scriptures, names were significant because it spoke to who you were or who you were called to be. And that's why sometimes you'll see God change a name. Like he comes to Abram. And he says, I'm changing your name to Abraham because Abraham means father of many nations, and that's who you are. You are to become the father of many nations. 
when Jesus encounters Simon and Simon starts hanging around with Jesus, Jesus says, you are Peter, which means rock. You're, you're going to be one of the pillars of the church. Your name carries significance. When God is about to enter the earth through Mary, he tells Mary, you're going to name the boy Jesus. You, you can't name him Steve or Bob or Craig or any other wonderful name. It has to be Jesus because Jesus means deliverer or rescuer, and that's what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to deliver. He's coming to rescue. He's coming to save. Turn the person next to you and say, a name is important. I'm really wanting to stress that because when God is having this conversation with Moses, Moses thinks, you know what, I want to know who this guy is. I want to know his name. And God gives him a response to give us some insight into who he is. Why? Because a name is significant. So he can't just throw out any name. He has to throw out a name that would cover who he is. He could have said, my name is creator, and that would have been a truth. He could have said, my name is love, and that would have been a truth. He could have said, my name is deliverer, my name is rescuer, and all of those things would have been a truth, but it does not cover the fullness of who he is because he is much more than just one title. He is much more than just one of his attributes. So he responds to Moses by saying, I am who I am. What's your name, God? I am who I am, and this will be my name forever. What's he telling Moses? I am whatever you need. You need a friend? I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You need a healer? I am the Lord that heals you. You need some help? I am the ever-present help in time of need. You need something? I am the provider. Are you following this so far? God is trying to show Moses, this is who I am. And it is much more than just one singular title. You can't just limit me or box me into just one thing. And in doing this, God is distinguishing himself from all the other gods that Moses would have been familiar with because Moses grew up in Egypt. And Egypt has all kinds of gods that do all different kinds of things. You have the sun god. You have the moon god. You have the earth god. You have the fire god. You have the kitty cat god. And God steps on the scene and he says, I am who I am. I'm the one that runs the show. You want to talk about the sun? I am the one that made it. You want to talk about the moon? I'm the one that made it. You want to talk about the earth and the wind and the fire? I am the one that made it. You want to talk about that little kitty cat walking around the palace going, Meow! everybody's bowing down to worship? I am the one that made the cat. I am who I am. Somebody say it's big. There's a lot in this title. And the more we become familiar with who he is, the more we can understand what he does. And so he takes Moses through this process, which is beautiful to me. 
Because before Moses even gets to the question of God, what is your name? God already starts revealing his name to him. Before God ever gets to saying, I am who I am, he starts giving him a definition of what I am is. And this morning, I just want to go through this text with you, and I want to begin to break it down. And if you'd like to take notes, this is your day. Because there's going to be a lot of different things that you can write about God, and then your job is to go out and study them for yourself. Instead of me doing a sermon on every single attribute, I'm going to say I'm going to allow that to fall in your hands. Bob, do you receive the task at hand? All right, here it goes. So watch this. Here we go. In verse 4 of Exodus 3, the Bible says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. God called to him out of the bush. God spoke to Moses. So right here we see that he is a God who speaks. He's not a mute God. He's not an, unable to communicate with his people. And when God speaks, things happen. Because his word carries power. The Bible says that he watches over his word to perform it. When he sends his word somewhere, he watches over until it prospers and accomplishes exactly what he said it would accomplish. And so when God speaks about you or God speaks to you, you've got to know that something's going to happen in that word, even if you don't feel up to the task. God speaks to Moses. He directs Moses. He leads Moses. And Moses is like, man, I don't know that I can do this. And God's saying, you can do it because that's who I've called you to be. That is what I have spoken about you. Did you know that before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you? And he had already spoken over you? God speaks. And God wants to speak directly to you. My grandfather used to say it's like an old radio. We don't have those anymore where you have to tune it in. And if you're not on the right station, you get, you get a bunch of noise. But if you dial in, you can hear the signal. And my grandfather would say it's like that with God. He is speaking to his people. Many times we're just not dialed in. We're so consumed with what's going on that we don't take time to turn aside. Moses is out there doing his daily chores. He's walking the sheep. He notices the bush on fire. And the Bible says he turns aside. He takes a pause from his life to encounter this thing that ends up speaking to him that he finds out is God. I wonder how many times God is speaking to us. We're just not aware of it. When I was a kid, I would hear different people say, you know, God said this, God said that. I was like, well, God don't say nothing to me. If I could just be honest with you, I always thought like, man, that'd be really cool to be like on your wavelength because God ain't saying nothing to me. The older I've gotten and the more familiar I have become with his voice and how he speaks, I can go back through my life and see, wow, God was speaking to me at that moment and I just didn't realize it. I thought it was just a coincidence. I thought it was just this, just that. But it was actually God speaking to me to lead me, 
and to guide me. Turn to the person next to you and say, God speaks. God speaks. And again, I'm not doing a sermon on that one particular attribute, but many times God will speak to you through his written word. So people are always like, you know, I want to hear what God has to say. Well, get into his word because he will speak to you through his word. And the more you get his word inside of you, the more he has to communicate to you. Because sometimes you'll be in your daily life and you're thinking like, what should I, I don't know what to do in this situation. And all of a sudden, here comes his word from his word. And it deals with exactly where you are. That is a way that God will speak to you. It's a way. There are many different ways God will speak, but it is a primary way that God will speak to you is through his word. So if you want to hear his voice, get familiar with his word. Verse 5 says, then he said, do not come near. I love this. He tells Moses, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for this place on which you are standing is holy ground. It's in the middle of the wilderness. It's just dirt. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's just dirt. Until God shows up. As soon as God shows up, he takes what is common and he makes it holy. It's a part of who he is. It is what he does. And why that should be so significant to us is because we are what? Dirt. At the core, that is what God formed us out of. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed life into man. We became a living being. We became a holy habitation. Then sin enters the world, and guess what? We become again dirt because we are without spirit. We are without his presence. But God comes in. And he takes that common thing, that common thing like you, that common person like me, and he once again breathes his life into us. And we that were common are now considered holy. The Bible says, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? Think about that. There was a time that he was confined to tents on earth. There was times that he was confined to the most holy place in the temple on earth. But Jesus says, you know what? No longer will I be confined to a building made by the hands of man. And through his death, he tears the veil that separates man from God. And once again, the spirit of the living God is poured out on flesh and we become the temple of God. This building is not the sanctuary of God. We call it a sanctuary because it is the place that we gather together to worship God together and corporately. But you are the sanctuary of God. I am the sanctuary of God. And when we come together, we become the dwelling place of the living God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you. No longer look at yourself as common. You need to start seeing that I am holy because he has made me holy. It wasn't my actions. 
Because God knows my actions have not been good. He made me holy. And when you start thinking this way, it will transform how you live. Miranda, there are things that you used to accept in your life that you will no longer accept because you are holy. And that kind of thing cannot dwell in a holy place. Are you following what I'm saying? And so now you've got a sense of worth that will change the way you live, to change the way you operate. It'll change the way you treat other people. Because now it's no, you're no longer Joni to me. You're the temple of the living God. You are holy. How can I mistreat you if you are holy? How can I not love you if you are holy? How can I talk bad about you if you are holy? How can I murmur and complain and backstab and, and, and gossip about you if you are holy? Turn to the person next to you and say, he takes common things and makes them holy. Now I'll say this, I am holy because he's made me that way. I am therefore now the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Think about that. And he did all that. Rick, he did that because he loved you. He took common Rick and made you holy Rick, a royal priesthood called according to his purpose. Now, verse 6 says this. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is wanting Moses to see. I am the God who has always been. I'm the God who worked in Abraham's life. I am the God who worked in Isaac's life. I am the God who worked in Jacob's life, and now I am the God who works in your life, and I'm going to work in the life of your children and your grandchildren and so on and so forth. Why? Because God is the God of generations. He can't be confined to just one time. And one place, which is great news, because the God you read about through Scripture is the same God who is alive and living and active today. And if he did it then, he can do it now. If he helped people then, he can help me now. Why? Because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the, the God of Mergadich and Aram and Alan and then this Aram. He's a personal God. That's, that's how my grandfather, his name was Ararat. They called him Harry. He, he saw God that way. He didn't just call God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although that is who he is. He would say, you are the God of Mergadich. You are the God of Aram. And you are the God of Ararat. He is my God. He is my God. Church, if you can ever personalize this, it will change your life. He is your God. He wants to be your God. He wants to be the one that leads you and helps you. He wants to be the one that saves you and delivers you. He wants to be the one that heals you. Tell the person next to you, he is my God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 7, he says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. So what is God saying here? I'm the God who sees. I am the one who hears. And I am the one 
Who knows? He wants Moses to know, I'm not like the statues and the kitty cats in Egypt. I actually see what you're going through. I've actually heard my people cry. I know their sufferings, and I know that I can do something about it. God knows what you are going through. We do not serve a far-off, distant cosmic being. And it is a shame that we have treated him as such. We've treated him as this God in this far distant place we call heaven. And as cl- the, close, the closest we can get to this God that is in heaven right now is through the flannel board characters we put on the green flannel at church. The, the closest we can get to him is the stories we hear about him. But that's not the God that presents himself to Moses. He is the God that says, I see what you're going through. And somebody in here today, you feel like you've been going through something all alone. I want you to know that God sees what you have been going through. He knows the pressure. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. And when you cry, he hears what you are crying about. David says this in Psalm 34, 4. He says, I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He saw me, he heard me, and he delivered me. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He hears you. The times that you've cried in your room all by yourself saying, oh God, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He has heard you. And he knows. Turn to the person next to you and say, he knows. I was listening to a gentleman that I know, minister, and he was talking about, he was in a meeting. I was actually, he wasn't giving the testimony. I was listening to this actually happen. And he says, there's a lady in the room that has terrible migraines. He says, I want to pray for you. God's going to heal you. She stands up, comes forward. So as she comes forward, he starts talking to her, and he starts explaining to her, you've had these migraines since you were a little girl. He said, and they've gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. Then he says to her, when you were a little girl, you would lay your head in the lap of your mother, and she would comfort you. He says, am I right? And she goes, Yeah. Then he says, but as you've gotten older, the the pain has become so intense that it's now affecting the vision in your right eye. And she's just blown away by all this that, that he's telling her. Then he says to her, he says, not only have you been dealing with the migraines, but now you've had an issue come into your stomach, and there's such severe pain there that you are crying out to God, and you're saying, God, I don't know what I'm going to do if the headache and the stomach pain hit at the same time. I'm not going to be able to handle it. He said, he said, God heard you cry out to him when you were sitting on that little wooden bench. He said, you were sitting there, you were crying, saying, God, I don't know what to do. He said, you were peeling a mango. Think about that. What, what, some, some people get like weirded out by that kind of thing. But here's what's happening in that moment. God is showing that lady, I know. Had nothing to do with that, the, the gentleman who was preaching. He's just the vessel that God is flowing through at that moment to let this woman know, 
that I know what you're going through. I have heard your cry, and today I am going to deliver you. It's powerful. God knows. God, and I want to serve a God that knows. I don't want to serve a deaf, dumb, mute, blind God that can do nothing for me and has zero care about me and my future. So to know that he knows and that he'll even take time sometimes to share something with me about my life because he loves me, not because he has to, but because he loves me, that does something for me. Turn to the person next to you and say, he loves me and he knows. Then in verse 8, what's so great is he says, I've seen, I've heard, I know, but now I've come down. So he's not just the God that knows and sees and hears. He's the God who comes down. I'm going to leave the comforts of heaven to step down and actually do something for you. Isn't that something? Jesus comes down. Every other religion, we're trying to ascend to God. There's all this stuff that we have to go through, all these rituals to get to God. But in our faith, we believe that God came to us, that he dwelt among us, that he died for us so that he could bring us to where he is. And that's not just our heavenly home in the future, by the way. That's his presence and his kingdom right here and right now that we can live in because he came down. It shows that he is intimately involved in our life. He's the God who rules and reigns in the affairs of men and women. I was thinking about the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in Scripture. How many of you are familiar with that story? The religious people are standing over. The religious people are putting her down. The religious people are wanting to cut her off. The religious people are wanting to separate her. When Jesus shows up, he does not act like them. He does not look down on the lady. He gets down with her. He gets on her level. In other words, I'm not just the God who has the ability to help. I'm the God who cares enough to get down here and actually help. And in this moment, I'm going to change your life. In this moment, you're going to feel me. In this moment, you're going to feel my love in this moment you're going to feel my peace in this moment you're not going to feel condemnation you're going to feel acceptance why because i am the god who comes down and i want you to know that god has come down for each and every person in this room many times we take a passage like john 3:16 that's so popular for god so loved the world and that is true that we miss the fact that i am a part of this world that he came to I am the one he thought about while he hung on the cross. He thought about me. He died for me. He came down for me. But he doesn't just come down. He doesn't just come down. He does something once he gets here, which we see right here in verse 8. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Not only am I able to help you, not only do I show up to help you, but I'm actually going to help you. 
He's the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know that. And many of us know that God is able. We just don't think he'll do it for us. God is able to heal, but he's just not going to do that for me. God is able to deliver, but he's not going to do that for me. God will set Miranda free, but he's not going to set me free. But I want you to know that when he comes down, he comes down to deliver. And he doesn't just deliver you from something, he brings you into something new. So with, with Israel, he brings them out of the bondage of Egypt, but he doesn't just bring them out. He then cuts off the enemy. Through the Red Sea, the enemy can no longer, the enemy that was plaguing them can no longer plague them. But then he doesn't just leave them to their own demise. He takes them into a better place, a promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey. When God brings you out of something, he brings you out to take you into something better. And somebody needs to hear that today. Because some of you, you have held on to the bondage because you don't know there's anything better. The bondage has become familiar to you. And it almost became so familiar to Israel that they missed out on the promised land because they were always looking back at where they had come from. And sometimes that happens in our life. We, we get so caught up in this system, this bondage, this addiction that we know is not good for us, but we don't know that there's anything better, so we stay right there. But I want you to know that when God delivers, he doesn't just deliver you from, he delivers you to. And he's got something better for you. He has something better for you. Tell the person next to you, he has something better for you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I came to church on this Labor Day weekend. Because I'm not going to miss what God is wanting to accomplish right here in this place. He comes down. He delivers. Verse 12, we see that he is the God who is with us. He tells Moses, he says, I will be with you. I'm not going to be separated from you. I'm going to be with you. And not only is he with you right now, he promises that he will never leave you and never forsake you. That you, you need to know that every season that you walk through in your life that God is with you even when you feel alone. He is with you. And God doesn't want to be just the God who can do something for you. He also wants to be the God who is with you. So many times we will pursue God for what we can get from him. But we don't pursue him simply for who he is. We want the provision, but we never go after the presence. And I love the provision. And God is all about providing for his children. I love that. I love the fact that he can heal. I love the fact that he can save. I love the fact that he does all these things for us. I love the fact that he can even help us in our finances and in our business. That's, that's wonderful. But I can't get so caught up in what he does that I miss who he is. His introduction with, with Moses, he's walking Moses through all of these things that he's going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. But then Moses says, but who are you? I want to know who you are. And in the process of knowing who God is, then Moses gets to see what God can do. But then he gets to a place. This is important. 
where God says, okay, Moses, I'm fed up with Israel. I'm going to send you into the promised land because that's what I've said, and I will honor my word. You need to know, if God says something, he will do it. He doesn't, he doesn't go back on his word. So he tells them, I'm going to send you into the promised land because I said I would do it, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel with you. And what does Moses do? Moses says, no. If you're not going, I'm not going. Because I would rather be in the wilderness with your presence than in the promised land apart from you. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, they did not lose the provision of God. They still had food to eat. They still had the ability to farm. God still allowed the grass to grow and the trees to bud. What they lost was his presence. And so that's what Jesus wants to bring back is the relationship between God and man where we are with him. And if we will be with him and know him, then we'll get to see what he can do. But I don't need to get it backwards. I don't need to go so hard after what he does that I miss who he is. I want to know him. I want to know his nature. I want to know his heart. Because the more I know him and am intimate with him, the more I will become like him. Turn the person next to you and say, he wants to be the God who is with you. The Bible says that his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone to show himself strong on their behalf. But the person who is going to see his strength on their behalf says it's the person that has their heart toward him. Don't chase stuff. Chase him. Don't chase provision. Chase him. Don't chase miracles. Chase him. Don't chase revival. Chase him. So many times there are people that they will travel all over the world just to go see what God's doing, what, and I'm fine with that. Go to the church services. But you think you're going to find God in a thing, not realizing that he is with you right here. And he's just waiting for you to cry out to him. And so when you're traveling to see what you call a revival, you're going to see a people who have taken the time to press into his presence. Not realizing that if we'll do that right here, we'll see the same type things that they saw there. We can see the miracles. We can see the healing. We can see the deliverance. We can see blind eyes open. We can see uh, lives transformed and saved and changed, which is my heart. That's what I want to see. But I know that it's not in the going after the thing. It's just simply pressing into who he is. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all this other stuff will be added unto you. He says, I am who I am. I be who I be. I do what I do. I am whatever you need. And what's great about that today is with as many people are, that are here and watching online or listening through podcasts, there are many 
different needs that he can fill at the same time. Because he doesn't just know what I'm going through. He knows what you're going through. And he came down to help. He came down to save. He came down to deliver. He came down to heal. And all I've got to do today is reach into knowing him. And if I'll know him, I'll get to see what he can do.